Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summero and subscribe to StacySummero.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I'm thrilled you're on the journey with me. episode is all about owning your story, processing your past, both the good and the bad, and synthesizing it with God's plan, sharing your story to help others, accepting your individuality, which I know is harder than ever in today's digital age, and seeing your story in the light of salvation history. Decision-making is so much clearer when we see past our current stresses and climb the mountain to God's view and see His hand in everything. It is about 65 degrees and sunny here in Virginia, so I took my kids outside and the sun sunshine on our shoulders just felt incredible being able to walk around without a coat on and as I was walking through the woods and just enjoying this time with my children I just felt like the warmth directly corresponds to how my soul feels when I spend intimate time with the Lord, regardless of what the weather is or what's going on in my life. When it gets cloudy, I can go to Him and I can really rejuvenate and and just allow myself to bask in His love no matter what's going on. And sometimes I don't always feel that when I'm praying, but I always walk away with such a sense of peace. Um, so I just wanted to encourage you to spend quality time with the Lord today. I just want to ask for your prayers for my my grandpa and my grandma. My grandpa is 94 and he is probably going to be going to God this week. He taught me to sing and my older sister as well. And we both became professional musicians. My older sister, Shelly, is an opera singer spending most of her time in Europe these days. So I'm going to include at the end of the episode as a little special feature, you're going to get to hear four-year-old Stacy and my older sister, Shelly, when she was six, singing with our grandpa. There are some really adventurous key changes in there. So enjoy those from four-year-old Stacy. My grandma and grandpa were born in 1925, three days apart. They got married in 1950, and they've now been married for 69 years. They've raised four children. My grandpa fought three wars for our country as a colonel in the United States Marine Corps, and he gave his life for his family, for his country. He has taught me so much about loyalty and honor. And so I just ask for your prayers uh, for Mallet and Eileen Jackson. I love him so much and I'm really going to miss him. I also need prayers as I get on a plane to lead a youth retreat in Raleigh, which is very exciting, and then a young adult event the following day. Today's episode is sponsored by the Cathaholics Podcast. Isn't that an awesome name? Cathaholics is a podcast for millennials by millennials started by Jacinta Florence, who lives in the St. Louis area. Jacinta and I met this past November in person, and she is just a lovely person and a great conversationalist who's doing her part to support and build up other people of faith with compelling faith-filled conversations. Each week, Jacinta interviews Catholics and Christians who offer solutions to the many issues that young people struggle with today. There was one great one on social media, one on emotional chastity, one on how far we should chase our dreams in God's plan, and other issues that we millennials encounter on the daily. Jacinta's mission is to point to the truth that the answer to the ache in our hearts is Jesus Christ himself, and we find that by living out our Catholic faith. If you are listening to my podcast, then you are a podcast person, so you should look up the Catholics podcast on Spotify and Overcast after this episode is finished. 
I also wanted to tell you this is not a sponsorship, but I was given a lovely gift by this young woman named Emily Tate, who has founded a company called Pillar and Pearl. She got in touch with me and sent me one of their beautiful gift boxes. These are high quality curated gift boxes that just give you that special feeling when you're opening them that this is really going to be something special. The colors are beautifully coordinated. Everything's beautifully packaged and high quality. And furthermore, everything is sourced from Catholic artisans, many of whom are Catholic moms doing the naptime hustle just like I am. I love Catholic makers. Many of them are my friends and their products are found in the pillar and pearl boxes. So if you want to save yourself some work putting together a beautiful gift box for someone that you love, just consider supporting Emily and the community of Catholic artists with a purchase from pillar and pearl. I'm going to put a link to that website in the show notes and it's pillar and pearl Com. So big thank you to Emily Tate and for all the beautiful work that you are doing. All right, let us get to our interview today. Emily Stimson Chapman is a rare find. Whether you follow her or not on Instagram, you should. She has just an outstanding gift for writing, and she's authored numerous books and Bible studies. She asked me to pass on her newest book to you, which I am linking to in the show notes, and it's called Around the Catholic Table, 77 Recipes for Easy Hospitality and Everyday Dinners, which she wrote for a really special cause. So she and her husband adopted a baby close to two years ago, beautiful baby Toby, and they're using the proceeds from this newest cookbook to fund the adoption of a second baby and give Toby a sibling. What a beautiful cause. I'm so excited for them. And I know from my own research, because my husband and I are discerning adoption, that it costs a ton of money to adopt. So I know that God is going to do great things through Emily's generosity. And if you're looking for a beautiful gift to give someone, you are going to love this cookbook. So without further ado, let's get to my rich conversation with Emily about owning your story. Emily, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you with me on Called and Caffeinated. Thank you for being my guest. Oh, I'm so excited to be here and get to talk with you today. Yeah, me too. You have the distinction of being my most requested <laughs> podcast guest. Isn't that oh. exciting? <laughs> yeah. I'm really surprised anyone even knows who I am to request me. So yeah. yeah. Was, well, like, there was cool one... People. There was one thing you posted. It's all Instagram. Um, <laughs> it isn't so many things are Instagram now. Um, people were sending me your post about how you discerned marriage with your husband and sort of the the non-linear route that that took. And yeah, so people were really interested to hear more of your journey. And I was looking, I was just like browsing your website, which is beautiful, your blog. And I just, I couldn't pick one topic because I felt like you have so much to offer. And so um, what... What stands out to me is that you're such a strong writer that I wanted to really, um, I, I know it's, it's how you process your story. It's how you take ownership of your story. So I thought that would be a really beautiful topic for us today. Um, so first of all, do you want to just tell me what calls you've received from God in your life so far and what those calls looked and felt like? Oh, gosh. Um, well, definitely he called me back into the Catholic church. Uh, so, well, first I should say he called me to himself. So when I was 19, um, I had, uh, I really decided, okay, am I gonna, am I gonna do what the world is telling me to do and what I always thought I was going to do, or am I gonna really wrestle with who Jesus is? And, you know, if I decide he is who he says he is, follow mm -hmm. him. So that was a huge, a huge call. Um, I've been raised Catholic, but fairly nominally Catholic. Um, and so 
that call at 19 was, I'm always really grateful for my, I, I left the church. So I, I met a cute Protestant boy and cute Protestant <laughs> boys and bad catechists. They're super dangerous. Um, bad combination. Uh, so even though I left the church, I know Jesus was using that time to call me to himself and teach me about who he was and what a personal relationship looked like with him. Uh, and then when I was 25, he called me, you know, he said, okay, it's time to come home now. Like there's more for you. You, you need to step up to the next level. Mm. Um, and so encountering him in the Eucharist and in the saints and in the other sacraments and in the, the magisterium was a profound experience. Um, mm. And I thought at that point that God was, because I felt very strongly called to marriage and um, I'd always had big career plans, but uh, the older I was getting, the more I was like, ah, you know, maybe I'll raise a, a daughter who writes a book, but I think I'd just like to have a daughter. Mm. Um, but God had very different uh, plans for me. So uh, I was planning on getting married, but God's like, no, I think you need to go get a graduate degree in theology. So I went to Steubenville, I went mm. to Franciscan University and studied theology. And I thought truly at that point, God would be calling me to marriage, but no, God called me to writing. Um, people always want to know how I became a writer. And I'm like, yes, please. Uh, Jesus told me to, Jesus get, pretty much handed me the work and said, do this if you want to pay your bills. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't something I pursued. It was really God just opened doors and kicked me through them and then shut mm. the door behind me. Um, <laughs> um, and that's what I did then. I mean, that's what I yeah. still do. So I've been writing professionally since I was 26. Uh, and it took me till I was 41 to get married. So he, I was right. God was calling me to marriage, but he had other work that he wanted to do in me and through me in the meantime. Mm. And then I knew I was being called to be a mom and welcome life into, into my home. But God, my, that didn't work out quite the way I expected either. And God instead brought that life into our home through adoption. So mm. um, we were called to our son who we adopted almost 18 months ago now. And wow. um, yeah, so now we're getting ready to start the adoption process again. Some days I think we're crazy because I'm like, oh my gosh, I can barely handle life right now. <laughs> but there's just this overwhelming sense that there should be another child here, um, yeah. that there, there should be more life in the house. So Beautiful. yeah, so God's really always calling me to to welcome life into my house, whether it's through hospitality and hosting through yeah. as a mom, um, making friends with people who I've met online. I have so many online friends who've become yeah. like friends. And, yeah. Me too. So, I know. Isn't that amazing <laughs> that we have that now? Like I know, I know it's easy to be really hard on, you know, uh, all of the disadvantages the, that the internet has, but like, man, what a, I wouldn't have as many friends as I do. And I wouldn't have this. I feel like I have a community through my, just through Instagram. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I would, we wouldn't mm -hmm. have our son without social media. I mean, wow. between all of the connections that brought us to the attorney who um, presented us to his birth mother and then through the help we've been given by friends and family to adopt. So, no, I'm not allowed to slam social media. I am, I am a huge <laughs> fan for the most part of social media. Yes. So, I'm, I just find it so fascinating. Um, this is part of the reason I started my podcast is when someone says, God called me to this. And I always want to ask people, like, what did that what did that mean? What did that look like? Was it that you wanted to become a writer and then the opportunities presented themselves or did God tell you with like, in like the God voice that we all want to hear in our heads, like be a writer, you know, how, what did that call look like for you? I'm a big believer that the God's primary calls comes to you through a combination of your 
interests, your abilities, and your op- the opportunities that open mm-hmm. for you. So, yeah. lot, you know, you may want to be a doctor, but be throw up every time you see blood. <laughs> so right. that's a good, mm-hmm. good indication you're not being called to be a doctor. Um, you may be an excellent writer and have a deep desire to be a writer, but there's just never the opportunities. The doors are always shut. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another sign that God is, call- has, is calling you elsewhere, even though you have, you have gifts that may lie in one direction. Uh, for me with writing, it's just something that I was good at. It was something that in school I was always good at. All of my jobs, as soon as people realized I could write, somehow my jobs always became very writing heavy no matter what I was doing. Mm. Um, and so when I came to grad school, I needed to find a way to make some money. And um, I think I took a, I took a grant writing job, but at the same time, the, I'm old. So the blogs were just a big new thing back in 2002. Oh yeah. Yep. It was a a new thing. And I just started a blog thinking, oh, this is a fun way for me to write about Catholicism with my friends who I left behind in DC because I'd been working in DC before I came to Steubenville. And people read it and people liked it. And then the Vatican interviewed me and like Vatican oh, radio wow. interviewed me. I was like this 25, 26 year old young thing. Um, and so for about a year or two, I was, you know, way back before there were mommy blogs or anything like that. I was mm-hmm. um, a popular blogger in little Catholic land when there was like 15 of us. Um, <laughs> so, but that suddenly I started getting a lot of offers to write for other people. So I got offers to um, do different writing for Franciscan University, I got offers to write for magazines, for our Sunday visitor. And I needed money for grad school. So I just took those jobs. Um, and the offers have never stopped coming. I, mm. That was, it's just one, I've never looked for work. I've never sought work. Um, every, every assignment I've ever had, every book I've ever written, it's, it's always by request. So mm. I just keep walking through the doors that God, God has opened. And um, awesome. yeah, so that's how my call has looked. God just, I just yeah. walk in the direction he, he's, he allows me to walk. I love it. Um, It reminds me as you're talking of when you said opportunity, ability, and desire. I've had the ability and the desire to be a speaker for quite a while, but I feel like I had some amazing opportunities um, in the last couple of years, but nothing was really gathering momentum. And then we moved to Virginia, and I feel like the, the doors have just been opening and opening. And as I was watching these doors open, I was still kind of discerning, like, even though I have the desire and the opportunity and the ability, I was still kind of like, is, is, does this mean that God's calling me? And even though I was, you know, I'm podcasting about discernment, but I'm still wondering like, where's the confirmation from God? And then I realized like the, the call is the phone call that someone called me to come speak at their diet, you know, in their diocese or at their parish or whatever. That's the call. (laughs) I don't need to wait for this, for God to just like, you know, put his literal stamp of approval, like send me a letter in the mail or anything or extend me a vision. It's like, no, you're being called because your phone is ringing. Um, yeah, and, he usually works mm-hmm. in the circumstances and that's just yes. the easiest way to to know like, oh, okay. And now maybe like for me, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I do have the ability to give talks and I, okay, I hate giving talks. I don't like, I don't like speaking. Um, it just takes me away from my writing and my family, mm. but I, I like it when I'm there. 
but then I get opportunities. I'm like, but right now is this the time? And so there's also that like Mm, ability doesn't just mean like I can give a talk. It's like, uh, how much crazy is this going to bring into my life if I do this right now? Or what is this going to take me away from? So, but that's just discernment. You know, but yeah, no yes. letters from God usually. That's normally <laughs> how God works. Right, exactly. And we, I actually just did a podcast episode. Last episode was um, Melissa Grace Tablada, just about basically avoiding overcommitment, how to learn that you're you know, supposed to say no, even when the opportunity is there. As I have sort of grown in my ministry, I've had a lot of people reach out to me, especially women in their 30s and 40s who have not yet found the one and um, asking me just, you know, sharing their hearts with me. And one of them used the term vocational orphanhood. Can you just share a little of your journey and if you ever felt that sense of vocational orphanhood and how you kind of uh, stayed strong in that waiting? Yeah, I, like I said, I always wanted to be married. I always wanted to have a a family. I was not someone who was like, well, let me go get my graduate degrees and have my career. And then maybe in my 40s, I'll adopt a child. That was not the plan. The plan was to get married when I was 26, have you know, 10 kids and be the homeschooling mom driving the big old scary van. Oh my um, gosh, that was and- my childhood. <laughs> right. That was my, wasn't my childhood. So I thought I was being super countercultural and radical and wanting that. Um, and oh, you are. I, I was, I was, I was raised in the Catholic bubble, like a very, very, <laughs> very small subset of the population. A lot of families with like 10 and 12 children in my high school. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. Which yeah. is my world now. So, so awesome. I went to thinking surely I will find a, a Catholic husband there to, you mm-hmm. know, have 10 children with and give me a crappy van. Um, but, (laughs) but that didn't happen. Uh, and it was okay at first, you know, when everyone is single in your twenties, being single in your twenties is a very different experience from being single in your thirties. And I'm going to guess that being single in your thirties is a very different experience from being single in your forties or fifties. I got married right after I turned 41. So, Mm. um, but as, as everyone starts to marry off, and uh, you suddenly realize that, oh, there is a time limit on your fertility. It, it starts to feel very lonely. It's kind of like the Agatha Christie novel, and then there were none. And like, you know, people keep, <laughs> your friends you used to hang out with keep disappearing and disappearing. Uh-huh. And you have to, you have to make, make a new life for yourself in this world where, mm-hmm. where you're, you're one of the last single people. Um, and I... I, I, on one level, I succeeded in the sense that I had work that I loved. I threw myself into my caring for my friends' children. I loved them as my nieces and nephews. I, you know, soaked up every lesson in motherhood I could get from those friends. So I had a very, very full single life. Um, Mm. I just made the most of every opportunity God presented me with. Um, So that was good. But at the same time, there's just that desperate loneliness for someone to Mm -hmm. share life with and Mm -hmm. share a home with and someone who can like stop at the store on their way home from work and get you, you know, tomato paste or something like whatever. (laughs) Life is easier with two people. And you really start to feel like you really start to feel that when everyone else is coupled off and you're not. Um, But when I was 30, I met my husband. Um, We met on Catholic Match and Mm -hmm. we wrote these really intense letters to each other for a month. And then we went on our first date and I was smitten. I was like, he took, he did everything right. It was the best date in the whole Mm -hmm. world. He took me to look at beautiful architecture and old buildings, which I know that's not some people's idea of a great date, but truly it is the way to my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And I was, 
I was utterly smitten with him, but he was, which I did not know at the time, um, he was dealing with a chronic illness and had also had a broken off engagement a couple of years before and had not really done the healing he needed to do from that. Mm. So he wasn't sure what to do with me. On one hand, he really loved being with me. He wanted, he enjoyed my company, but he had this health issue. And then there was um, just this healing that had not, had not happened, probably partly because of the health issue. The health issue was really getting the way of him working through and moving on. Um, and so we began what sounds insane. And I, if you had told me at the outset, I'd have been like, that's Looney Tunes. Who would ever do that? We, we became good friends for nine years. Um, and it was a ambiguous friendship, not in the, not in the way that we were doing anything immoral. Um, but we spent a lot of time together, very date-like time going to do things and seeing things and, um, but never dating. And so during that, those nine years, I I felt very strongly God was saying, yes, this is the person I want for you. Um, you just have to be patient. And I would get verse. There's a verse I would get in scripture when I would be like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'd open up the Bible or someone would hand me, some people walked up to me and handed me this verse. They'd hand me oh um, devotional readings with the verse on top, or I would go into mass. And that would, it was crazy. One time I told God, and this is what people on Instagram left so hard about i told god i was like if you want me to keep waiting around for chris lord i want a letter in the mail like i am not <laughs> doing i i want a handwritten letter telling me that i am supposed to continue and wait and be patient for this man because uh yeah anyhow and wouldn't you know it within a week i had a letter delivered to my house and it had um it had that same quote written across it on the back. No of the way. Yeah. No way. Yes. Way. So, so, yeah. So I don't recommend demanding letters from God, but in emergencies, he does deliver them. Um, so, <laughs> Wait, what was the verse? Did you say it already? Uh, it was, see, it's been so many years now. It's in quiet. It's like in quiet and trust is your strength and confidence. I should know it by heart. I used to know it by heart, but okay. now I have mom brain and I don't remember anything. I'm lucky I remember my name. Um, <laughs> I should, I'll see, you know what? I will send it to you and you can put it in the show notes. How about we Perfect. do that? That sounds great. Um, yeah. But so, but even with all of that, there were still, Chris and I stopped talking at multiple times during those nine years where I said, look, if we are not going to really move this forward to dating, we cannot spend this kind of time together. So you go your direction and I'll go mine. And we would do that. And then somehow, inevitably, we always ended up drifting back together. Mm. Um, until 2012, he almost died. And I oh. spent a week with him in the hospital. And it's, another woman actually showed up who liked him at the time. And it was like a Mexican soap opera. There was so much drama. <laughs> and my poor husband was almost dying. And he had these two women like, you know, ready to have a cat fight in the hallway over oh. him. And I was like, you brought this on yourself. This is your own <laughs> fault for not dealing with this sooner, buddy. Um, I'm so not sympathetic. I'm such a choleric. I'm terrible. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you're, you're, you brought the pain on yourself. Um, but, <laughs> but eventually he came to his senses and yeah, as he got healthier, as he healed, he didn't die. Um, we started dating and then we got married. Mm. Uh, but it was a very, very long journey. And it is not something I recommend. I do not, you know, it's really, God has to be sending you handwritten letters in the mail to wait around <laughs> for a guy for nine years. So, um, and the funny thing though was that as I processed this, 
my spiritual directors, my very best friends were all like, no, I think you need to stick around. And I'm like, are you crazy? Tell me to go away. Like, this is obviously not. So, so also having people in your life who really know the situation and know you when they are, are saying things, it's good to listen to them. I think if my spiritual director and best friends have been like, run, run fast, that would have been <laughs> yeah. a different story. So, right. mm-hmm. so that's my very, very long, very crazy marriage vocation story. Wow. Yes. And I just, I know you wrote a book about it, which uh, I'm sorry to say that I just found out about yesterday. And so I did not read it, uh, but it's called what it, the, the single girl's guide to survival. Is that what it's called? No, it's the longest title. It's such a bad title. Uh, it's the <laughs> Catholic girl's survival guide to the single years. Um, oh, that's not bad. That's not oh, just remember. <laughs> so long. This was like back, this, I wrote it in 2012. So uh, okay. survival guides were a thing at that point. But, but mm-hmm. this is a need because when the idea of vocational orphan, in a sense, that's true. Um, Hmm. We live in the midst of a cultural crisis where so many people are so wounded spiritually Mm -hmm. that they can't move forward into a mature Christian marriage, uh, whether Mm -hmm. it's from pornography or um, sexual wounds from their past or their parents' marriages. Mm -hmm. You have all of these people who are spiritually wounded, just like after World War I, you had you know, so many young men who were killed and you had all of these women who didn't have anyone to marry. And there were a lot of women who genuinely had vocations to marriage, but you got to have two people to fulfill that vocation. And Mm -hmm. so when you have a large percentage of the population that is, is spiritually dead or spiritually crippled, um, that delays a lot of vocations. So Mm -hmm. I had to wait till I was 41 to get married. Um, Some Mm -hmm. people wait longer. And some people miss their vocation. We have men who are missing the vocation to priesthood because of their spiritual wounds. We have women who are missing their vocations to consecrated life because of their spiritual wounds. And we have people who are missing their vocations to marriage, some because of their spiritual wounds and sometimes because of other spiritual wounds. And it's a really heavy cross. Um, And I don't think that um, it's hard for people who married young or who married their high school or college sweetheart to fully appreciate the weight of the cross on, mm. on those people. And um, as a church, I think we like not as DREs and directors of evangelization, evangelization, but as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers, we really need to make sure we're reaching out to our single friends and including them in our family lives, setting them up with people. If we, you know, I've, I've had two successful matches now. I've had two, yes. four, four friends that I've set up who are, nice. one are married and one's about, to, one are on their way to marriage. So um, we're really just taking on <laughs> nice. that responsibility of helping people, yeah. um, including them in our lives so that we can increase the chances of them, if not finding their vocation, um, finding finding joy because God still has joy mm. for everybody and love for everyone because we're all ultimately called to to Christ like he is right. our vocation we that's the universal vocation to holiness and yes. so that's the only vocation that truly lasts forever um, yeah. yeah yeah thank you for sharing all of that do you have any other like tips to share about like how to carry that cross like I know you you brought up some really good things for married people it's like include single people I love that um and uh like as a well let me ask your perspective is as a as a single person did you really want to be included like you obviously wanted to be included in the lives of married people and people with children but what was your like boundary because sometimes I feel like my friends who are still single it's a little harder to help them understand 
the limitations of my life. And I'm like, well, you can enter into this huge inconvenience with me of the children screaming, or I could just be like, let's take a rain check and let's, you know, let's hang out when my kids are calm and when it's more convenient. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. For me, it was, let me just come over with the screaming kids. Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> I loved it. I, awesome. I, I, yeah. I don't, I used to, all of my best friends, I would go whenever they had new babies and I would stay with them for two weeks and take care nice. of them and take care of the, um, take care of the babies. I've been in the delivery room six times Whoa. with friends. Um, I've had, I've had more kids throw up on me and <gasps> do. Yeah. And I love it. And yeah. it made motherhood, but my transition to motherhood so much easier, mm. but it made mm. those single years so joyful for me, like spending time with families, being in their mess and single friends are awesome. Oh my gosh. I want a single friend so bad right now because yeah. they have two hands and no children yeah. to claim yeah. them. So there's, I mean, they're so helpful. I now I realize I would just show up at my friend's house like after work at four o'clock or five o'clock. I would help them get dinner on the table or hang mm. out with the kids. And I was like, oh, I need someone like that. <laughs> like I need yeah. me. Could me from ten years ago, please come hang out with me. Yes. Um, but I I loved that, and those children were. They just gave me life and love and mm -hmm. wisdom and it made my single year so much more joyful. So mm. now singles in their 20s, when there's still lots of other sing single people around, um, they might not, they're like, uh, I'd really actually like to go to that cool restaurant. So you have fun with the screaming kids. But the older I got, the more I just, you know, I just wanted to to be a part of a community and not be in yeah. an isolated, everyone is single and doing their own thing mm -hmm. type of mentality. So my yeah. life was, was very enriched by people letting me into their mess and, you know, letting their kids throw up on me. So <laughs> my friends I didn't hold anything back. Yes. Yeah. So it's so interesting because I feel like there might just be like, I feel like the devil probably loves to wedge uh, get a wedge in between single people and people who are married with kids just because as a married person, I'm like, well, nobody wants to be a part of this with me. Like no one wants to sit here and I don't want my single friends to like leave in tears because my babies threw up on them. But you're saying like you wanted that. And, and I think there's um, maybe just like a breakdown of communication. Like maybe there just needs to be more honesty between like, what are, you know, if we're friends and, and one of us is single, one of us starts having kids, that's a tough transition for a friendship because suddenly the one who has kids is no longer as available. And so the options are like, well, we can hang out and just I'll nurse or, you know, sometimes you can go out and do fun things, but it, that's extreme, but you're not going to go out to a bar until one in the morning dancing or whatever. It's just not a real reality. So I feel like, um, just like a clarity of communication, of, um, and, and, um, offering yourself like as a single person, just saying like, I'll help you. Cause it's hard as a parent to ask. <laughs> yeah. Hard. And I did, I yeah. would just show up like I'm bringing awesome. dinner. I'm coming to take care of your baby here. Let me take your baby while you go shower. Um, I, love it. I just sort of, that's, I just showed up and did it. And that's what you often have to do. And then my friends knew enough to know I really wanted to be there. So they, didn't yeah. think twice about letting me know when they had needs, but there has to be that communication. And again, it's the yeah. devil. The devil's always trying to get us to think that this woman has something better going on. Or there's mm -hmm. some, her life is, why would her life, how would she, why would she ever understand your life? Or how would this person ever have something to right. give to your life? Why do you need each other? And we all need each other, which is why we're so different. Mm -hmm. We have different strengths and gifts and interests and, uh, 
you know, it's that, that difference that allows us to help one another and that creates real communion. Because if we all were perfectly self-sufficient in and of ourselves, there, we would never be imitating the Trinity because the Trinity mm-hmm. is this, you know, beautiful communion of love and self-gift. And that's what we're called to imitate. And our differences sort of force us to have to do that. So yeah. we have to, we have yeah. to let those differences be an invitation and not a door. Yes, I love it. So there's different ways to express and kind of to own our story. And like I shared, it's podcasting, writing and speaking for me. Um, and I, I've noticed as I've spoken more and more about my own testimony that it really, I, I feel like it puts me beyond reach of the devil because he can't reach me when I'm owning all of the places that I've been, whether that's shameful or happy or joyful or encounter with God or whatever it is. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I process my story a lot. Um, for you, uh, when I read your blog, I, I just think this is so truthful and so transparent. But you're also very real about the ways in which you're an unfinished product and you're rough around the edges, um, you know, and, and the ways that you need polishing by God. So um, what is like owning your story, writing about your story? What does that do for you? I think it helps me understand it better, um, particularly mm-hmm. because a lot of what I'm writing about, I mean, sometimes I'm writing about what I'm going through now. You know, I was just on Instagram talking about my my wonderful son who would not let me get my work done during his nap time and had to sleep mm-hmm. on me and I was kind of going into a panic attack. So sharing, <laughs> communicating, I'm an external processor, so sharing that mm-hmm. always makes me feel saner. Um, but looking back on how God has moved in my life and what he has done for me during some of the hardest times of my life and the hardest mm-hmm. moments. I, I learned to see him now in the hard moments. Like when I look back and I go, Oh, he was totally there. And look what this, what, look what change this brought about in me or look mm-hmm. what good this accomplished. And so even though I can't see what he's doing right now, or even if he feels distant from me now, I can see in my past how he's moved. And so I know he's moving in my present too. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really help my faith to grow and mature and be stronger. Um, and just, yeah, it's drawn me closer to Jesus. So processing mm-hmm. my story, um, it's always about my relationship with Jesus, even if that's what mm-hmm. I'm not talking about. And that's what I want other people. Um, I want them to see their stories and see where Jesus has been in their story and how he's been mm-hmm. moving for them so that yeah. they can see him in the present. Yes, yes. And you do a really good job of drawing out spiritual parallels. I loved your blog post about all of the messes and the surprises and the unexpected checks that you had to write with your home renovation. And you were drawing parallels from St. Catherine of Siena the whole time. And it was it was funny. It was relatable. It was real. And I just felt like um, taking these experiences you're going through and sort of putting them into bigger truths was such a, it's such a, a, a talent of yours. Um, and and it, it really helps us to see our lives in the light of something bigger. So for someone who's like, I don't even know where to begin owning my story, processing my story, maybe they're not a gifted writer. Um, what would you recommend f- for them to get started? You know, what's really helped me is knowing the story of salvation history, which I know it mm. sounds odd and like it's coming from left field, but God is the original storyteller. You know, God wrote history and uh, when I came to Steubenville and I took a class with Scott Hahn, um, I really started understanding understanding the human human history of salvation, how God has been working with stubborn, difficult, disobedient, you know, ungrateful people since the dawn of time. And in no, the more I got to know the story of humanity, 
the more I started to understand my own story. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes we can navel gaze too much um, and we mm-hmm. don't, we need perspective. And so to study the story of the patriarchs and to study the stories of the saints, um, to study literature, like the more you read about others' experiences, the more you start to see uh, you start to see those parallels to your own stories. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, you start by looking at others' stories. Uh, you become an observer of humanity and story in the world around you. Um, and that then you look back at yourself with that wisdom and you're able to start seeing what, what's really going on in your heart. Yes, I love that. I, I One of the things I love best about being a podcaster is being sent books by publishers to read and then interview the authors. And it has expanded my worldview. So, I mean, I've always loved reading, but as a mom, I feel like it's really hard to find time. And so this is one of those things where if I have a deadline and I'm interviewing an author, I know that I am going to be reading that book and finishing that book. So um, so it's just helped me read so many books. Um, and I, it, it really does, when you click with something, Thing, it helps you put your experiences in a bigger worldview. Um, and I love what you said too about salvation history. Um, do you, uh, I know, okay, so I know there's different ways to go about studying that. Do you have any particular books that you recommend or do you just go straight for the Bible? I mean, obviously we shouldn't be afraid of the Bible as Catholics. I'm a huge advocate of reading the Bible. I do it every day, but I know sometimes it's a little scary to get started. So do you have any like recommendations? Yeah, you know, I think that, um, I mean, if you're looking for books, uh, Scott Hahn's A Father Who Keeps His Promises, you have to get past the super, super corny, cheesy uh, puns that he has for subtitles. <laughs> but if you can get past those, uh, it gives you a, re- for me, that was like, I thought I knew the Bible because I'd been a Protestant for six years when I came back to the church, I came to mm. Steubenville and then I started seeing the history of the church as laid out in the covenants and it blew me away. Like it, mm. it was radically shifted how I saw God's actions in history. So I would say a father who keeps his promises is great. Um, the St. Paul center Bible study journey through scripture, journey through scripture. They have a number of them. I helped write all of them. So, I'm, <laughs> so Oh, nice. I, so I love those Bible studies, partly because I, they help pay the bills, but also because um, <laughs> it, it's how I have learned to see it. And so I was able yes. to put what I learned from Scott into those studies. Um, so Genesis to Jesus is a fantastic study to do and you can stream it online. Um, but I think once you get that overarching picture of salvation history, oh, and I should also say Jeff Caven's Bible Timeline. Those are great too. Um, and mm. I had nothing to do with those. They're just great. <laughs> um, but the more you get that overarching picture, the more it helps you to navigate your way around and know who the mm. major players are because everyone starts to read the Bible at Genesis and they're chugging right along until they get to Leviticus. Yeah. It, it just, you know, or else they didn't even get that far because Exodus gets pretty weighed down with like how big the tabernacle should be. Yeah. Um, it gets into the specifics really quickly. <laughs> it does. So I'm big on get, get an overall, get your map, like stand yes. back, be able to see the big picture, the big players, and then you're going to be more comfortable diving in on your own. Let's talk about how you and I have something in common. Um, We both went through eating disorders. And this is something that I just love seeing your journey through that on your blog. And uh, you wrote on there, I love, therefore I cook. And I love how your recovery just led you to see your body as good. You know, we have to accept ourselves. We have to kind of be on on our own side. We have to be the hero in our story if we're going to really own and process our story. So can you just... 
tell us how you made that turnaround from self-punishment into celebrating food, celebrating life and celebrating yourself and the people you love? Yes. Um, and mm. I, I will give you the short version. The long version is in my book, The Catholic Table. Um, awesome. But really, it was twofold. So first, it was the church's teachings on the sacramental worldview in the Eucharist. Mm. So the more reading I was doing about Catholicism, the more I was coming to see how God, you know, God wrote, again, God wrote creation and he wrote himself into everything he made. And you think I'm good at drawing parallels. Like God is the ultimate English major. You know, every, <laughs> everything in creation is meant to teach us something about God or something about, um, something about the truths of salvation. So mountains tell us that God is majestic and, you know, bumblebees show us God's attention to details. Well, food is a natural sign of the Eucharist. Um, food and how it nourishes us and strengthens us and heals us and comforts us and, you know, is a sacrifice to prepare. So all these natural truths about food point to the supernatural truths about the Eucharist. Um, and I came to understand that one day I was coming back from Mass, or I was sorry, I was coming back from Holy Communion at Mass and the I had a thought just popped into my head and it was the most intimate communion I have with God is that I eat him. Mm. And that I was like, whoa, I eat God, right? Like mm. I eat God. Like God becomes food for me. Like God is food and he's feeding with feeding me with this thing that I'm so terrified of. So mm. um and then I so that really reordered food. And I started seeing food as a gift of love and as a symbol of the Eucharist and really as a foretaste of the, the spiritual nourishment we receive every time we go up to Holy Communion. Um, and so, once I started seeing food as a foretaste of the Eucharist, I couldn't, I couldn't abuse it. I couldn't fear it. I couldn't, mm. you know, I couldn't binge or purge or count calories. I knew I had to treat it as a gift and let food do in me what God meant it to do. Um, mm. So, that was big. And then the theology of the body, just starting to see that my body was my body was not a problem that I had to control. My body was a gift that I needed to care for. Mm. Um, and to start to appreciate all the things that this gift allowed me to do. And it wasn't what made my body valuable. wasn't like, did it look hot in a bikini or in a great pair of jeans? You know, was it a certain mm. size? But did it allow me to love others? Did it yes. allow me to know God and worship God and serve Him and serve others? And so just looking at all those beautiful things my body made possible that had nothing to do with size or weight um, was also profoundly healing for me. Wow, that is so beautiful. I remember on your blog, you called it a sacramental sacramental worldview. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I just, I just so strongly remember being trapped in those days as well, where food and exercise were my obsession. It was like, I wanted food, but I would punish myself by not eating it. And it was also the enemy. It was, it was this very messed up relationship. And I think what stands out to me from those days of my life is that I was so focused on it that I was not focused at all on people. Right. And I would only do, say, service projects, or I would only help people who could use my help or make myself available to people outside of the time that I had set aside to go to the gym. And, um, and that, and, and of course, it was like two hour workouts every day plus a five hour rehearsal in the evening. So, <laughs> and sometimes a dance class. So, it was like ridiculous, you know? It's like right. so controlled. And I would just miss out on friendships because I was too hungry to go to a party. So, I'd go to bed. And that was years of my life. And I look back and I, that, it, was, it was a hollow way to live. <laughs> 
There's another aspect, I think, that really can keep us from owning our story. And this is everywhere. This is competition and comparison with other people. And I, I know that a lot of us sometimes watch other people on social media and we start to think like, well, other get, people get to have these adventures and this amazing story, but it, it couldn't happen for me. Or I, I don't know how to, to be an individual because it feels scary or whatever. And you start to kind of become a bystander in your own life. What are your thoughts about, about that, about feeling like you don't get to have your own adventure and just sort of um, holding yourself back in your own mind all the time? You know, I think... I think that comparison, it is, it is one of women's greatest spiritual struggles. So women and mm. men have, tend to have very different spiritual struggles. Like there's some overlap, there's always exceptions, but uh, you know, women and men are not fighting the same spiritual battles. Men are not going around going, oh, why does his Instagram look so exciting? <laughs> why is like, oh, look at the state of my room. Like men are not doing nope. that. Women no. are doing it chronically. Yep. Um, but it's what God did. To, I've always like, this is what the devil did to Eve in the garden, right? Like this was how he, he began the story of humanity's fall. He's like, look what God has that you don't. Like God's all knowing and all powerful and you're, you're not, you're, you know, you, you're missing, you're lacking. And he's like, oh, you're right. I want what he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she convinced Adam to eat the fruit. So comparison, it is always a chronic struggle for women. Um, I think I am lucky in the fact that I came to social media later. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't really get on Instagram until I was uh, 43 and had a baby because um, I had to show pictures of my baby in Instagram to do that, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't realize you were such a new Instagram user. You have such a big following. You've just like, it's just blown up. That's amazing. It grew really fast. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I just started using it like a year ago, right around this time last fall. Um, wow. So yeah, it's, it's kind of been a thing this year, but I'm a writer. Cool. So, you know, and my baby sleeps on me for half his nap. So you but so, but I'm still older. And most of my life was lived in a world without Instagram, without social media. Mm-hmm. And I've been blessed to be surrounded by really good friends who've always welcomed me into their homes and shared their stories with me. Like, just let me see their mess. Um, mm. So I know what's going on behind closed doors <laughs> and whatever yes. anyone tries to make it seem like it's too perfect. Like, oh, I'm sure they're a hot mess in some way. Even <laughs> if they're not a hot mess in the way I am, they're a hot mess in another way. Everybody's a hot mess in some way or another. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I'm super comfortable with people knowing the ways in which I'm a hot mess. So because mm. that's, that's how we, if I'm real with you, it gives you the space to be real with me. Mm-hmm. And when you are able to feel like you can be real with me, then I can actually love you and you can feel loved and you can feel welcomed for who you are. And yes. we can, we can build a true friendship. Um, so I just kind of ignore all of the stuff that seems too perfect on, I was, I was actually yesterday I was, um, I posted something. What did I, Oh, I posted about being a working mom, being hard, um, which to mm-hmm. me sounds like saying that, the sky is blue. I'm like being a working mom is hard. I never think, Oh, you're so right. Thank you for saying it. I'm like, you know what? Here's my job in life. This is the mission the Lord has entrusted to me. I'm here to say, no, you are not crazy. This Mm. is hard. Being single Mm -hmm. is hard. Being a mom is hard. Adoption is hard. Infertility is hard. Renovating a house is hard. Life is hard. Like don't believe all the pretty pictures on Instagram. So that's my, 
I've decided that's my mission on social media. I'm just yeah. here to say the emperor has no clothes on and yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I love that so much. And, and I, um, I, I would say there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Obviously, maybe this is again saying like the sky is blue, but um, sometimes if a post comes across as like, I need you to validate this so that I know that I'm okay. Is like if the the author of the post is like writing it for attention, then you're like, oh, that makes people uncomfortable. But I think um, you do it well such that um, I know that your mental health isn't dependent on me pressing like. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, you yeah. cannot seek likes. And my the goal is always to drop back. So mm. it's not just my story, but it's it's good storytelling. You want to expand it so that it starts to feel universally universally uh, applicable. Um, mm. So it's never just writing like I'm saying this is hard, but it's it's acknowledging reality and it's helping people to see reality yes. because we live in a world that's always putting up smoke and mirrors. Um, and if we're not careful, we'll put up smoke and mirrors in our own life, and we won't see the reality of who we are and what God is doing in our life. So I think it's just. Um, yeah, there just always needs to be a genuine, someone also once said you process wounds, you process, you should process scars, not wounds. And I thought that was a really good mm. way of looking at it. So I'm not going to go on and talk about a fight I might be having with my husband because that's nobody's business, but my husband and yeah. me, yeah. but I could do a larger post about marriage at a later date talking about how you work through struggles. So it's mm. how mm. you process, but again, I'm old, so I don't know. I've had, I've just, I've had practice. I've screwed up so many times that I sometimes don't screw up now. Sometimes. <laughs> oh man. That's funny to hear you say that. Cause your posts are so eloquent. There's no screwing up. <laughs> They're just so truthful and beautiful and so well-written. And I, I think that's good for people to hear though, like just to have patience with yourself, keep trying. Um, and I feel like for me, just, I just started using Instagram and Facebook this summer as like a way to really try to connect with people. And I think there was a mental shift that happened in me that was like, all right, my posts, some of them that I thought would land aren't landing. Uh, what is going on? And I just started stretching myself to put myself in the viewer's shoes. Um, and if it's just all about me all the time, that doesn't really apply. And so learning to become a better communicator, I feel like there's been this explosion that has happened this fall. Um, and it's been really exciting and really fun for me. And I'm still learning so much, but there was a, there was definitely like some weeks in there where I was like, I felt like my brain was growing to twice its size of just trying to communicate what I mm -hmm. what's in my head and put it out there. And that process is so beautiful and you have to be patient with yourself. You can't say like, um, if you like, for example, I'm trying to use social media to help get the word out there about my podcast. And so I have to choose the right words. They're going to make the right people click on the link, you know, to go to find my podcast. I'm like, how do I, how do I express this thought, um, to show this, this thing that I've worked on so hard and, and hopefully add value to people's lives. And I really had have had to be patient with myself. So that's another part of it too, regardless of whether or not you're using social media, just any part of processing your story. It's like, you just have to be really patient and allow the pieces to come together slowly. Um, and you have to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to sometimes tell you to write things that other people need to hear. They're like, oh, mm, people needed to hear that. I yes. thought I was just sharing a thought, but apparently, yeah. apparently people needed to hear that one. Okay. It, it often will surprise you how God, I think God rearranges words um, as they go from the page into people's brain. 
um, in order to just really touch them where they are. And so your job as a writer is just to to share really what God has put on your heart. And Mm. Instagram is a great writing exercise because you have to do Mm -hmm. it in 2,200 characters. You know, you've got to tell a really tight, compelling story or make your point as succinctly as possible. And so it's a great, great exercise for writers in terms of really boiling it down to the essentials um, and not wasting words. But it is, it's ultimately up to God, whatever you're going to write. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why some stuff I write speaks to people and others don't. I mean, yeah. I've definitely written things where I'm like, this was, oh, that's so good. And it's like, yeah, some mm-hmm. people like it. Most people don't get it. And then I'll write something that seems so obvious to me. And people are like, that's so profound. And I'm like, yeah. are you reading what I wrote? <laughs> really sure it is. Yeah, there's there's actually someone I really admire who I follow on Instagram. And I feel like she writes very obvious things all the time. And I read it. I'm like, well, of course. But she's got like this following of like teenagers who are like hanging on her every word. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there was a time in my life when I didn't know that. Absolutely. And that's her niche. And she just works it. She just does a great job at it. And so, yeah, sometimes like things that are most obvious, you're like, oh, I didn't realize people need to hear that. And that's happened for me, too, is sometimes I realize people I, I was I started out kind of wanting to really speak to the Catholic bubble specifically because that's just where I felt called to minister. But I feel like a lot of the, a lot of what people really need to hear is just the witness of what it's like to be in a Catholic marriage. That's mm-hmm. a huge part of it. And some of the stuff that I'm like, Oh yeah, I do this every day. This is obvious. This is just part of my life. It's like people find that to be really um, unusual. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know people need to hear that. Okay. Well, let's keep <laughs> writing about that. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the great things about social media is you really get to hear other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel like my my prayer life has been enriched by by the struggles that I see people go through on Instagram, the things yeah. people share with me in private messages. Mm-hmm. My understanding of what people need to hear, where they're at in their walk with God. Like, okay, I've got to actually, I want to talk about this, but I need to dial it back 10 steps in order to bring people to to this point. And this is actually what they're struggling with, not what I thought mm-hmm. they were struggling with. It's um, as a writer and as somebody who besides sleeping and, you know, getting herself and her family to heaven just really wants people to know Jesus and love Jesus mm-hmm. and grow in spiritual mm-hmm. maturity. Um, Instagram has been a fantastic tool for me to go, okay, this is, this is how I'm, this is what God is asking me to speak about right now. Yeah. This is what God's asking me to write about. And not just, yes, yeah, so really listening. I think social media allows us to listen to others, mm-hmm. yes. not just speak. And that's a real powerful tool for evangelization and just loving people. So. I agree. Thank you so much for, for your time today and all your expertise and keep doing the beautiful job evangelizing and writing and mommying and wifing <laughs> that you're doing. And uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch after this conversation. Thank you so much, Stacey. It was great talking to you. Yeah, you too, Emily. What a beautiful soul. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. And if you've been benefiting from Called and Caffeinated spiritually, I would so appreciate an iTunes rating and review from you to help get the word out there about the show and help it get seen by more eyes. I'm just blown away by what the Holy Spirit is doing with this show, and I would love for it to reach even more people. I also want to thank all of my supporters on Patreon, all of those who are in my Patreon community. We are rocking and rolling, having an incredible time time with our video chats they get access to my other podcast called coffee sips and if you
you would like to join, you can visit patreon.com slash called and caffeinated. And now please enjoy a little walk down memory lane. This is four-year-old Stacy with my older sister, Shelly, and my grandpa, Mallet, singing together. So enjoy that and I'll see you in two weeks. Tell me why the stars do shine. Tell me why the ivy twine. Tell me why the sky so blue. And I will tell you just why. God made the ivy twine because God made the sky so blue because God made you that's why I love you very good very good dark and you could hardly see the moon refused to shine a couple sitting underneath the willow tree the boy did pine the little maid was kind of afraid of darkness so she said we'd better go the boy began to sigh looked up at the sky Told the moon his little tale of Shine on, shine on, harvest moon up in the sky. I ain't having it since January, February, June, or July. Snow time ain't no time to stay. A doors and spoons, so shine on, shine on, harvest moon for me and my gal.